Jeff Morrill co-founded Planet Subaru, your undealership, in 1998 and built it into one of the most successful privately held car dealerships in United States. He later started other businesses in automotive retail, real estate, telecommunications, and insurance that generated over $100 million in annual revenue. His achievements of building profitable and ethical companies have been featured in a variety of national media, including USA Today, Entrepreneur Magazine, Automotive News, and the Boston Globe, and others. Jeff is the author of Profit Wise, How to Make More Money in Business by Doing the Right Thing. He donates all income from the book to Population Services International a global health organization with programs targeting malaria, child survival, HIV, and reproductive health. All right. Well, Jeff, I'm it's excited just to be able to talk to you and and you know, you've you've been in the business and retail, real estate, telecommunications generated over a hundred million dollars in revenue and starting from scratch. And you know, there's a lot of really great information in your book. And I'm really excited to have you here to just break down and see talk about the things that profit wise teaches people and maybe we can drill down and, and share it with everyone. Thank you for having me on. I'm looking forward to it. You know, you your your why of what what led you to write this book and start an ethical business, right? What's what was your why for this? The theme of the book, which came way after the business, but let's start with that. So the name of the book is called Profit Wise: How to Make More Money in Business by Doing the Right Thing, and that's the the distilled language that I finally came to after 20 years of, of actually doing the thing I set out to do, which is to find a way to earn our living and do really well, but to pull a lot of other people along with us. So it's, a, it's I guess at base, you could say it's a win-win philosophy. And we're trying to find a way to avoid zero-sum games create situations where I can accomplish what I want to accomplish, which is earning a living. They see the merits of wanting to come back again and again, send their friends in and all that. So it's just pretty simple customer service on the one hand, but, but it's deeper than that. And the part I want to just focus on briefly and the, the, the big idea that we open up the, the dealership with is what's wrong with the, the, the industry, the, the auto uh, retail industry. And what was really wrong with it and still sort of wrong with it is that it's very exploitive. Uh, I guess the, the theory that I think a lot of dealerships then and, and still too many now uses is this notion of hunting customers. And and I liked the metaphor more of farming so that we grow <laughs> together, you know, more right. kind of approach to this so that no one had to die. No one had to had to uh, their money for me to gain it, but rather how could we win together? And and that drives a lot of a lot of different um, 
philosophies, uh, or let me, I'm sorry, a lot of strategies that we execute every day in the business. So one of the things we do, like if you have a really bad service visit for whatever reason that we actually screwed up, which doesn't happen very often, but does, or someone has the perception that we really screwed up, we're just not going to argue about it. We're not going to wait for you to, to, to call your attorney and we're, we're just going to refund your money and send you on your way. And if you don't like us, that's okay. You don't need to come back. There, there are a lot of other people that can keep us in business. And and we just didn't want to have that level of antagonism that was very familiar and common to people, you know, just fighting for over every dollar of small sums. So we just made a decision on well, we're not going to do that. So um, we're not there to be exploited. You know, if someone's trying to take advantage of us, you know, when we've had those customers every once in a while, you get someone who buys a used car and goes out and drives it like a maniac and damages the tires or something and wants us to put the tires on, you know, <laughs> tires 3000 miles later, I mean, you get those, but we didn't organize our business around trying to protect ourselves from those people. We've organized our, our business around trying to do the right thing by the majority of people that are also trying to do the right thing. So I, I think in a nutshell, that captures it pretty well. Right. And you know, the ethical businesses and, and you know, with that, from that as a foundation coming from your heart and doing things the right way, instead of like, you know, hunting and killing something to, to eat when you can, you know, every, everything can live and prosper. That's, that's the space. And, and, you know, car salesmen have a reputation, right? Being kind of pushy and, you know, looking through your book, you talk about how you became a smooth listener, right? Instead of a smooth talker. And I, that really jumped out at me. It's kind of cool. What, maybe that break that yeah. down a little bit there. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Cause I, I, I appreciate that. And I, unfortunately, because of this format, I'm not going to get a chance to demonstrate my very hard won knowledge in this area because it, usually I just don't talk very much anymore. And okay. as a young guy, um, you know, I thought I had all the answers and, and I'd be in a room of people. And if there were 10 people, I'd do 50% of the talking instead of, um, you know, instead of 10% or, or even less. And and now in a room of 10 people, I talk about two or 3% of the time. So part of it is just that, that idea of being a smooth listener is recognizing the value of shutting up. And I think that that's way underestimated in society because we, we teach too many people, I think, growing up that that's how you demonstrate dominance or you demonstrate intelligence or, but I don't, I don't buy that. I think over time, I've learned that the way you really connect with people is to first create the space for them to walk into it. You know, if you're just pushing everybody out of the way by talking too much, there's no room for them to, to open up or, or share what they know or educate you, uh, particularly if they're a little more introverted and don't feel comfortable asserting themselves. So a big part for me is just, just step one is stop talking. And then step two is to, is to draw people out by asking good questions. And some of those questions I, I've learned, like at cocktail parties, I don't lead with what do you do? I, I'm more interested in having questions that are more open-ended. That, that people can take a lot of different directions. So instead of what do you do for a living, maybe I'd ask what problems do you solve or what are the things that you're thinking about right now? And if someone wants to talk about their work in that context, great. I'm happy to listen to it, but but I haven't steered them to, to a topic where they've got to define themselves in terms of what they do for a living, which might not be how they want to define themselves. They might, you know, they might be an engineer, um, for for a living but but what they're really interested in is is composing music and and if that's what they're interested that's what i want to hear about 
And so right. I think that's, those are a couple of things that, that I've, I've learned over time. I, I, I was not born with those, those uh, nuggets. I, I just discover them over time. And, and now I put them into practice and my life is much richer for it because the, the old cliche about how you, you're not learning anything while you're talking is, is very true. You know, until you stop, stop uh, talking and, and let other people comment and hear what they have to say, then, then you really don't have anything, uh, have anything to learn. So I'll stop talking right now. Well, that's words of wisdom, though. That that has been that's been a motif inside of my life where, you know, you can't hear if you're talking, you can't listen. And so if we all listened a little more, there'd be better communication. And that, you know, that covers everything. And, you you know, I'm not, you know, just a legacy wealth strategist, you know, my heart is writing inspirational music. So you, you hit that one. And that's, you know, you're come from again. Um, and it's not, you know, you've been so successful, you know, a hundred million dollar and all this, you know, but you've had to manage people and, and systems and, and all kinds of situations. You know, what, a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of mistakes people make. And what would you think, say just off the top? Cause there's a lot of struggling entrepreneurs and successful ones that listen to these shows and want to know how to get to the next level. So let's, let's focus the question a little bit. And, and this is, um, this is, I've made most of those mistakes, but what are you talking about in terms of opening up a business, in terms of scaling a business, in terms of marketing a business, in terms of recruiting the help? Like where, where are the, I mean, you, you're working with business people. Where do you think the pain point is? Is it a revenue issue? Is it an operational issue? I mean, you, you tell me what you'd like, like me to focus on. Okay. Well, you can start with revenue and then scaling up the business. Yeah. Okay. Well, On the yeah, golly, where do I start? Maybe the um, maybe the thing that I see a lot of small business people miss, and I wouldn't necessarily apply this to big companies or anything, but I'm just thinking about the the people that work with me, whether it's landscapers or carpenters or all the people that you need to interact with on on a frequent basis just to keep your your house from falling down. A, a lot of those people don't seem to understand that. They don't need a lot of customers to stay in business if the customers they have keep calling them. But if they want the customers to keep calling them, then they have to deliver good service. And I think that's where revenue is connected to operational excellence, that if you're not able to return a phone call, if you're not able to show up on time, if you're not able to keep your commitments, then, then people are going to stop calling you. And so you've got to go out and find more people. So I guess the, the conclusion on that, that particular question would be, I think, investments in, in making sure that you can follow through on your commitments and the commitments of any team members, employees that you have, those are, you're going to get that investment back. You want, um, you want people that can honor commitments and, and actually do the work. And, and so a lot of that for small business people requires looking in the mirror. When, when's the last time you showed up late for an appointment or or made a commitment to someone that you would have a, a deliverable, whatever that was, whether it was a construction project or a, a document or whatever it was, by a certain time, and then you just missed it. And, and these are the questions that I see, uh, I think a lot of small business people, at least the ones that I interact with, would benefit a lot 
from asking those questions. As far as the other half of the question about scaling it, I guess we need to get into you know the specifics of, I don't have any general wisdom on scaling a business. We'd have to look at um, you know, maybe a, uh, a specific instance, but but let me let me just try to imagine one. I remember talking with uh, the tree cutter. I live on a wooded property that has a lot of trees that need to be cut because we have a long driveway. So I, I talked to him a lot, and and we had this very conversation. He he'd like to have uh, more time to spend with his family. And right now he's just he's leading crews all the time. He's always out a, a crew, excuse me, a single crew. He's actually out there having to direct this team of people who are cutting the trees. So he doesn't have time to do the estimates. He doesn't have time to grow his business and work on his business, you know? So for him, the map looked a little to me like he needed another team uh, so that he would have two teams instead of one. And then he would have sufficient revenue to uh, afford an operations manager. And then that operations manager could do all the time consuming stuff he was doing instead of instead of um, you know the owner of the business having to do it all. So he had to get to that. He had to work harder to grow to that point where he could then take it easy, if that makes sense. It's almost like he had to input more effort in the short term to to get to that scale where he had the revenue to to run the business the way he really wanted to run it. Right, exactly. And it is. The, the owner ends up trying to do everything and then it's, what you talk a lot about in the book and the hiring and and you know getting the right team member inside of there and you know why is it never the wrong time to hire the right person yeah so over the years we've had occasions um you're you're referring to a, a, a topic in the book and, right <laughs> and I'll, I'll, um, we've had situations where people have shown up and we didn't have the position open, but it was a really good person. Like it was someone that, that if we were looking, we would hire that person. And if you're a company with one or two people and the perfect uh, future employee shows up, then, then you might just be out of luck um, other than to try to stay in touch with the person and hope that, that uh, the place they end up between now and the time you actually need them is not very satisfying such that you can attract them later. But what would happen with us, I'll give you an example. You know, we had six salespeople early in our, early in our, our dealership history. And, and a person showed up, um, his name was Bob and w the story ends well, but anyway, we just didn't have an opening. And I made the mistake of saying, we don't have an opening, even though I thought he was great. He was going to be a really good salesperson. And, and then I had uh, encouraged him to find another dealership in the in the area that was was similar in, in terms of their ethics and philosophy to us that I thought he'd do well at, and he actually did. He went and applied there, and he didn't he didn't have a very good experience, and and so he came back and he said, "Are you sure? Are you sure you don't have any opening?" And so we said, "You know what? We're going to hire you anyway." And we're going to find something to do with you. Like we're going to find a way. We have a company that's big enough. And so we created a role for him as an assistant to, to uh, one of our um, really successful salespeople. And he would ultimately become a sales manager. And he, he recently retired a couple of years ago after spending 15 years with us. And, and so that experience reminded me about how important it is to recognize that you don't have this constant dream of really qualified people 
knocking on your door. It, it, it doesn't happen very often, actually. You can run an ad and it happens to us almost more often than not. We'll go through a 30, 60, 90 day recruiting process trying to find and, and get no actual person we can hire to meet the bar that we have. And it's a reasonable bar, but it's a high bar. So if you get someone that just shows up when you're not looking, then, then you're well advised to work really hard to find some place in your company to hang on to that person right. because you're going to need that person sooner rather than later. Right. Good one. Yeah. So, you know, in your book, you write about why people should live with love in the model, right? Um, and anyway, that just caught my attention. Maybe you could kind of open that up a little bit. I know sure. it's... Um, yeah, let me introduce the concept. So my dad's a, a, a retired geography professor from Virginia Tech. So he, he's been many years uh, training a couple, three generations worth uh, of young people, preparing them for citizenship in the work world. And at some point, it occurred to him that, that simply preparing them to do a job was, was not the whole mission of his job as an educator. He needed to make sure that, that the people leaving his classroom were prepared to serve the world in some way too. His job wasn't just technical to yeah. get skills, but rather how to, how to be good to one another, because that's the whole point of our lives. Right. Yeah. Exactly. If you miss that, you've missed the bus, you know? Yeah. So anyway, he, he describes that, that notion as having love in your model. And I think that the model in this case being your, your strategy or your business culture or whatever organization you're in, can you say that, that the, the, at a primary function, it can't be the only function because you need to turn a profit and you need to earn a living. You need to comply with laws and all that stuff. So, so I'm not saying it's the only function, but included in your model, your business model, your nonprofit model, your consulting model, do you have love built in? In other words, do you have a, a, uh, a way to make sure that you're taking care of your people? Internally, externally, it might be your employees or customers or or people in the community that depend on you. And, and when love in the model is missing from an organization, all sorts of bad things happen. That's Enron. And, you know, Enron blew up. And, and I could give you a list as long as my arms of organizations that, that have destroyed themselves right. because they couldn't incorporate love in the model. But I want to add a part just in terms of my own life that, that so I'm 50 now, I opened up my first business at 26. So I, I've spent almost half my life owning my own business. And when I look back now at some of the decisions that I made earlier, I, I guess there, there was nothing illegal or tragic or unethical about some of the mistakes I made. I, I wouldn't describe them in those terms, but there were times, you know, I, I, I mentioned, you know, getting into arguments with customers early and I, I remember early in, in the life of the company, you know, giving, giving customers um, maybe more grief about something, uh, you know, if they had a complaint and, and I guess I didn't appreciate the thing that I do now about just how hard it is for everybody to get through life. You know, I don't care how rich you are, how famous, how, how fit, how healthy, whatever. It, it's hard for everybody. And and it took me till till later in my life to understand that that everybody is in something, and I just 
philosophically, I just want to be a part of that solution. Not that I can solve everybody's problems, but I just don't want to create problems if I can avoid creating problems, particularly if it's something that I can give. So as our as our profitability increased over the years, it made it easier for us to to take that big picture. And and I wish I had known it was going to turn out as well as it did, because I'd send myself a check, my my old <laughs> version of me from today, right. slush fund to say just if there's money at stake, just use this fund that I, I that your your older self sent to you to pay for it so that you can help people out. Right. And, and I think that um, you know, for for particularly your younger the younger members of your audience, if they can they can imagine what their life is going to be like someday when things are a little easier they make it a little a little more easy for them to incorporate love in the model that's it right there i i'm in like a hundred percent with you and i could see it in my when my own transition midlife when i made that you know the give back putting love there first instead of me 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 the whole energy shifted you know because money is just energy so the whole thing shifted and so much more fulfilling to be able to help people that are along the way that are just starting or have different problems, any kind of problems, that it is so fulfilling. And that's why we're here is supposed to love one another and not, you know, be fighting all the time, right? Well, yeah, sure. And I'm interested if you, I'd, I'd be, I'd, I'd like to hear you elaborate on that. What was the inflection point where that changed? Like, where was the, what caused the shift? Was it, was it a single event? Was it a health crisis? Was it, was it just a gradual evolution, a lifting of the fog over the course of your middle age where you said, oh, I see something differently now than I previously saw it? I'm just interested in what your experience with that was. That's a great question because what I've found in my journey, and I'm, you know, a couple decades older than you are in the time sequence was everything that had made me change was something traumatic. I wouldn't just change on my own because I'm such a great person. No, it took a shocking event. So the shocking event for me was my husband passing away and within five days my mommy passing away and and I wasn't I never really believed in death. I never bought into death. you know obviously we live forever you know that I have that mindset of you know, eternal life and the way I was brought up. So it was it devastated me. My whole life was serving my, my husband and, and living together and that all that. And now all of a sudden it's gone. And, and my business was successful. I could have just retired. And what I saw was a pattern because I'd been in it for three decades was a pattern that people had with their money. You know, and you can make millions of dollars or not paycheck to paycheck. It was the same pattern. Nobody's taught about it. Go to school. You learn how to make money. You get out of school. What do you do? Go make money and give it to somebody else to gamble. And so the second thing that shocked me was like it's a roulette. Well, simultaneously when this happened, I saw a lot of my clients lose their money in the stock market. And here they are, 70, 80. It almost makes me want to cry. And they come into my office and they were crying. They lost 40 60 percent of their pension and now that you know their lifestyle changed and and you know they still had food but it wasn't the same kind of food it wasn't the same level they were used to so all of those events just simultaneously shocked me and then i met 
uh, one of my business partners and she was, you know, I was born in wealth and she was born in poverty. And, you know, we'd be hanging out, talking and things. And she said, you know, there's a lot more of me than there is a you. And so I realized that I had something special in the way that I do my business that was unique than, you know, just a financial planner selling products. It was a lifestyle. It was health, wealth, peace of mind, you know, being one with God. You know, that's where I come from. And so that shock. And where I was at in life, like, wait a minute, I'm only halfway through here. What, it, what's the way that I can give back to help other people that are just like me that are struggling? So that's, that was the core of what made me go, okay, now I'm going to encapsulate, you know, I wrote my number one best selling book, <laughs> ready for pre-retirement. And I encapsulated three things that I saw people miss. So that's, that's what got me started. Thanks for asking the question that, cause, Cause that's my heart. And you know, when I leave and meet my maker, I want to be clear. I want to be clear that I did the best, you know, that I was kind to you. It doesn't matter who you are. You do this, you do that. You're, you know, we're here. We're supposed to love each other and, and help each other. And if I saw something, you know, and somebody, then I'd be able to help them. So I saw that I, what I knew was different than the conversation in the mainstream. And I needed to digitalize that and that's my nonprofit is to creating these programs to teach the youth in inner cities or people in all levels right about what I do so that's that was the re that was the reboot right there okay yeah for me that was um I think I had to get to the point where I felt like I had enough and I, I'm going to put enough in, in quotes. Yeah. Because I spent, um, you know, we, we we grew up in rural Virginia and we, we didn't come for money. So when we we opened with a shoestring, you know, my brother and I bought a bankrupt Subaru dealership because that's what we could afford. And it had been losing um, tens of thousands of dollars a month before we bought it. So it was it was underwater from the right. month. God, and we had to turn it around very quickly or we were going to lose what little capital we had. And anyway, so so I lost a lot of sleep worrying about making payroll and, and finding the right people and just you know kind of getting this freight train from literally slide or not literally, excuse me, figuratively sliding back down a hill and pulling it, you know, getting it moving the right direction. And it was only when I finally got to the point where I was like, it's okay, like we can make payroll. That, that I finally relaxed into it. And that gave me the space to start thinking beyond just you know, what, what's important to me right now. And, and I, I would have liked to, I'd love to tell you that that could have happened to me earlier. It, it just didn't. And the, the, one, the one prayer I would have for, for your younger uh, audience members, or, or maybe it's older audience members whose businesses haven't hit that point yet, is, is to have the confidence that that day will eventually come. So in anticipation of that, start thinking about how you can broaden your perspective today, even if you haven't reached the shore financially. Right, right. Start today, too. Um, you know, it's kind of a little stressful times, people. And, and I know you probably got a great tip on how business owners can avoid burnout because there's a lot of people that are maxing out, Right. What would you say? Yeah, I think it has to start with healthy boundaries. Like you have to understand 
yourself to know what are the things that are going to sustain your energy and what are the things that are going to take your energy. And let me make that more specific because that's sort of a general comment, maybe a little confusing. But I guess for me, what I didn't do, the mistake I made is that I thought my my energy and my discipline was a limitless resource. And so I just spent it and spent it and spent it. You know, when we opened up, I was working seven days a week. Um, once we once we um, stopped working seven days a week, this is a seven day a week business. What we're open, you know, it's retail. Then we went to six six days, and I did that for probably ten years. And then and then I finally went to five days. And by the time I went to five days, all those seven day and six day weeks had had consumed much more of that uh, exhaustible resource, which is my life force, than I'd realized. And and so. I think it's important for people while they're working really hard, you're going to have to, you've opened up business. There's a sprint factor there. You know, you're going to have to really put in the time, but you can't keep that pace going indefinitely. You have to know, you have to define the boundaries of, of what you're willing to sacrifice. And, and the more intention, intentionality you can bring to that, the better. And that may, might be a negotiation of, you know, a favorable, um, healthy negotiation with your spouse about about turning off your work phone when you when you walk through the door or or coming home at certain times or working a certain number of days you know i think the, the more the more you can define it for yourself and as a family and then try to be accountable to that the the, the more likely you are to to avoid the situation i found myself in which was like um shocked one day when i when i pulled into the dealership parking lot in my 40s my early 40s <laughs> and i took the key out of the ignition of the car and i couldn't walk in the door it was this bizarre thing like i mean i just i didn't know what to do with it because it's not like i've had um you know, any trouble I mean, my, my legs could have carried me in the door I, I was just stuck in the driver's seat thinking about everything I had to do that day that I didn't want to do. Right. I had been doing so much stuff I didn't want to do for so long without paying attention at all to its impact on my marriage and my health and my my psyche that um, eventually it caught up with me. And for other people, they tell the same story. It's a heart attack or it's their wife filing for divorce uh, or right. whatever it is, their, their kid that, that won't talk to, to them anymore. And that was my instance. So, so the more you can anticipate that moment where you're not going to be able to work um, that hard into the future, it's it's a it's a good time to start thinking about it earlier rather than later. Right. These are such great tips. I mean, if I knew back then what I know now, right? And yeah, well, that's this why we're talking so that the people can make sense of of our of our mistakes, right? Right. Right. And so I want to encourage everybody that's listening to this. We'll have links below to check out profit wise the book is just such a resource i you know i skimmed through it and i'm going back again because you know i wanted to have you know take the time to read it you, everybody should take the time to read it and get it um tell me where again they can go to get your book profit wise so but they can order the book and and also if they don't have the the $13 to buy the book which I understand cuz I couldn't always buy every book that I wanted to then go to jeffmoral.com it's um jeff m o r r i l l two r's two l's and an i in the middle um with a whole bunch of other resources there too so if you can't afford the book I have chapters that the publisher 
didn't couldn't fit in the book. And there are a lot of other resources that that people can use in their small and medium sized businesses to to learn from the mistakes we made and um, benefit from from all the the hard work that we did. So so they don't have to. That's great. Yeah, and I can tell that you you know when you don't forget your roots, right? you know, how you were brought up and, and remember not having money and, you know, what it's like to go that, you know, that's the heartfulness that keeps, you know, that keeps you connected. And but I'm, I'm a little curious because you just did this, you know, you've, you've learned some interesting things uh, with the publishing, how it was set up. And a lot of people that listen to this show are authors and speakers and people that are have a blessing to share and they want to write a book so what what would you suggest in someone writing their first book or what what you've learned yeah i don't know how representative i am let me just tell you about my experience it was um it was very humbling because i had i started the book i had very severely injured myself so i was i broke my leg in a mountain biking accident so i had months of Mm. on the couch i couldn't move took me a year to learn how to walk again so i had a lot of time on the couch and and all these ideas have been in my head and and i figured well rather than just watch a bunch of television or do puzzles or whatever let me see if i can you know really do something i want to do with this this unexpected gift if you call breaking your femur in five places an unexpected gift but whatever the world delivers place so anyway i wrote the book and then and people, I, I had some knowledgeable friends in the publishing industry and people had written books before. And they, they said, just so you know, there's a lot of content out there chasing an audience. And there are many, many, many more books written than publishers can find a home for. So write the best book you can, but just understand that it's going to be very difficult to find an agent. And if you don't have an agent, it's going to be very difficult to find a publisher. So I heard all that and, and it turned out to be true exactly what they told me that there no one misrepresented the situation at all i just really believed in the content of what i what i had to share and and so i was willing to, to take the risk and it turns out i did i was able to find an agent uh, it was very hard i i queried hundreds literally hundreds they call it querying where you you know you send your your uh, proposal to to agents in the hope that someone will see some potential and want to want to take that project on because they're commission based so so they need to believe that, that they're going to find a publisher before they're willing to take it on. So I did find a, an agent and, and after a year, she was not able to find a publisher for it. So she said, sorry, I can't find a publisher. Fortunately, there are publishers, um, the proper publishers who will, who will accept unagented manuscripts. And so I queried all of those publishers. This is a lot of work. You it's a lot of work, right? And find that the publishers that do, because there's no sense in just flinging out emails at people. You know, you want to find right. the right publisher. There's no sense in sending a nonfiction book to a publisher that does only fiction. You know, you're just wasting your time and, and theirs. So it, it takes a lot, a lot of effort. And, and I was willing to do it because I really believed in it. And I, I finally found a publisher who was willing to do it. And, and my bar was, I just didn't want a vanity press. I'm not saying that's a bad option for someone to, to just pay to have someone print the book, but I, I knew I wanted the benefits that a, a proper publisher. Could. Right. I didn't want to pay someone to publish it. I wanted to find a publisher that believed in it enough that they were willing to commit all the resources that they need to commit to, to make it a success. And, and, um, 
I think I probably, there's probably exactly one of those in the world. Unfortunately, I was able to find that publisher. But anyway, the, the, the way I opened this up is very humbling because I, I came from, uh, it was not easy, but, but by the time uh, I was in my 40s, you know, a lot of things had gone right. I made a lot of mistakes, but, but things were going pretty well. You mentioned that we have businesses that combined um, currently generate about 130 million in annual sales revenue. So we've we've got a freight train. That freight train I mentioned it was sliding backwards down the train is now rolling down the tracks. And I'd grown accustomed to to being able to call people and have them return my phone call. You know, if I if we needed a loan, I could call up a bank and and you know every every banker I called would call me back or or whatever it was. And and so in publishing, no one knows, you know, I, I'm not a famous person. No one knew me as a writer it was my first book. It was very humbly to start out from the bottom. And so I would prepare after after that that story of sharing my particular experience with your listeners. I guess I'd, I'd sum up by saying, um, be prepared to start from the from the very bottom all over again if you've had success in some other way because you know just because you're a, a really successful martial artist or successful lawyer or successful person in any other um, realm if you're not well known then you're gonna have to you're gonna have to work really hard to find a publisher that's willing to bet on your ability to find an audience for your content right right exactly well you obviously have found it and you've always have I don't what I how you just look so relaxed and I mean here you are you know massive annual income in all of these companies how do you do it I mean you know there's the management the mind you know you have a special kind of a brain that can manage all of those companies right or you have picked some really good people Yes, there it's there's the solution because yeah, I mean if you're I have I have a curious mind. That's that's for sure. You know, I'm not sure that's I'm saying that in a complimentary way about myself or not. But but one of the things I will I I will be uh, I will have no modesty about because we we've done it really well and we talk about how we've done it in the book is we've been really good at finding exceptional people and then retaining them. And, and over the years, grow them, you know, yeah. into, the, into the skill sets that we need them to have. So, so if you have that ability to find talent, hang on to talent, and grow talent, then then I don't have to be expert at all those things. And and I'll give you an yeah. example. Like I I know very little about accounting. I I, I never t- I, I was a political science and communication studies major in college. I never took the first accounting class. I never took the first business class unless you count, I guess it was a communications marketing class or something. So I, I'm not very well educated in a formal way about, about thing. You know, I, I still can't, I can barely get around an Excel spreadsheet, but that's okay because, because we have people for that. And right. so, so really what I'm, what I'm required to do is just help these smart people make good decisions and make sure now as I get you know, more senior in the organization, have less day-to-day function, is just to make sure that we retain um, our commitment to to the promise we open the business with, which is to give our customers an experience that's atypical and superior to what the customers, uh, excuse me, what the customers will find somewhere else. So as well, long as we stay true yeah. to that commitment, then um, then that that's my job, you know, is keep everybody pointing in the right direction. That's great. And you obviously have done it and and 
again, I want to encourage everybody to check out Profit Wise because that they can follow in your footsteps and learn. You know, we all got to learn from each other. So this has been a super call. I you know appreciate you sharing. I feel like we just scraped the surface here because I really want to talk to you about the hiring. That's I me. Mean, I've always had that problem, it, and there's a lot of a lot we can go into here. But again. They can get the book at jeffmorrill.com, M-O-R-R-I-L-L.com, and you got all kinds of goodies there. I checked it out, and and you're very helpful. You're very kind to share what, you, what you've been given. Is there anything, um, a thought for the day you want to leave with everybody? Yeah, I've got so many. Let me let me choose one because I've been I've been thinking on so many themes. I guess it, it's maybe a, a uh, suggestion for people who are working so hard right now is to imagine what their lives are going to be like when they don't have to work so hard. And if what I'm hoping is that somehow in that imagination, that might influence what they're doing today. So in other words, I see so many business owners, and I was one of them who just who, who gave, gave up their, their youth and in some cases their middle age. And I know some business owners are giving up their old age, trying to, to earn a sufficient amount of money. But then they get to the point in their lives where their health isn't there, or, or maybe they've lost a spouse or, or the people they thought that they were going to get a chance to enjoy that money with aren't even there to enjoy it with. And so they've been making all these sacrifices in anticipation of a life that they'll never get to lead. So, so I guess my thought is, is to, to ask your, your listeners to imagine um, a time down the road, five years, 10 years in retirement, and imagine what they like and just make sure that their current actions are leaving room for that to happen and that they're not sacrificing too much today um, in pursuit of something that may, may never occur. Very, very good. That is so true. Jeff, if we took the time, right, to, to just do what you just said, that just changed the mindset for the future. And you've dropped so many jewels inside of this. I really, really, really appreciate you being here. And we'll have show notes and, and contact information. But again, thank you so much for sharing all of your gifts with our listeners. Yes, thank you, Chris, for, for doing the work you do to try to shed some light on these uh, on these topics. All right. We'll see you next time. There's so much to learn about healthy money. I hope today's discussion brings you one step closer to securing and protecting your future. So you can get started on the right foot, go to meetwithchrismeller.com and schedule your free financial fitness strategy session. Thank you for listening and please subscribe to Money 911 so you don't miss our next episode which includes health, wealth, and peace of mind.